I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. How is the dad you had like God? So think about that for a second. How is the dad you had like God? And more importantly, how are they different? How are they different? I ask is how often do you suppose we subconsciously, unconsciously project our imperfect earthly father's traits <laughs> onto our, I forgot the picture, onto our perfectly righteous heavenly father? I think we do it a lot, and I think it's a problem, and I think we need to work on it. You know, uh, I do not buy into this, uh, this thought, this teaching that some hold that Jesus, you know, he came and transformed this Old Testament, harsh, condemning God. You know, this is the image we have of him, this Old Testament God. But Jesus came and he transformed him uh, into a uh, loving New Testament father. That is just not true at all. Jesus didn't come to save God's image. (laughs) He is God's image. I mean, we're told that in those words. He is the image of God. He didn't come to remake his word. Well, we kind of really messed up in the first portion of this thing. Made God look pretty bad. No, we just, uh, he didn't come to remake the word. He came to restore what was there and reveal what it meant. And and fulfill it. Restore, reveal, fulfill. That's what he came to do. Because among many others in the Old Testament, Isaiah's Old Testament perspective of God as our Father in heaven, because that's where that's from, it had been all but lost when Jesus came. It's all but lost again. Almost that Old Testament God that... Jesus is the image of. So Jesus came and he fleshed it out for us. Literally fleshed it out to help us find the balance of God's intimacy and authority. You know, it's a relationship versus reverence. The old friendship versus fear. And we have to strike this balance Because it's that balance that will help us to avoid the very dangerous extremes. You have the one dangerous extreme of seeing our father as, you know, tame and indulgent. You know, oh, daddy will do anything I want. Or the other extreme, vicious and intolerant. And I love C.S. Lewis's balancing act in a line relating to Aslan, the lion, when he says... The children were terribly afraid it would turn and look at them. Yet in some strange way, they wished it would. And I just love applying that to the Lord, this balance. Because though he is fierce, he's much more than a force. And when Jesus was teaching us to pray to our God, you'll teach us to pray. Okay, say our Father. 
So when he's teaching us to pray to our God as our Father, he wasn't like hunting around for a fuzzy metaphor, you know, like, oh, this is warm and fuzzy. Let's call him, let's, uh, we call him Father because that'll humanize this otherwise uh, horrifying force, you know. No, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't looking back on happy childhood memories, which I'm sure he had, but he, but I can tell you, he was not looking back on his happy childhood memories of Joseph and thinking, there you go. There you go. We need to think of God more like old Joe. He wasn't. Wasn't doing that. Because God isn't like a father. He is the father. That's what he is. He is. The, old Joe. Old Joe was like a father. Every dad here is like a father. Because he is the father. Because everything good about fatherhood is a mere reflection of our everlasting father. But you know why I believe, and I build a whole, I'm going to make a whole case for it, why I believe the Lord chose old Joseph for Jesus. Because Joseph came the closest. He came the closest to being like God the father. And I can prove it. Even though very little, if you know the, the stories, very little is said about him. And nothing, not one word, is said by him, recorded. We don't get one word from the guy. Tight-lipped. But as you may know, I love uncovering Scripture's hidden stories. What I'm going to call forensically. Forensically. I use the term here in the office. I don't think I've used it with you guys. It is by building solid deductions. I want to talk about this word in a minute. Build solid deductions from all the information that we're given. Now this is as opposed to using flimsy conjectures based on vain imaginations. Oh, I'll bet this. I want to fill in the blanks. I'm going to just... This might have happened. That's conjecture. But for instance, deduction. We can know by deduction that old Joe was actually afraid to marry Mary uh, once she told him that God got her pregnant. You know how we can know that old Joe was afraid? Because the angel said, don't be afraid to marry Mary. That's deduction. (laughs) It's simple, but not, oh, well, the angel said it. That means he was it. And so that's the difference between deduction and conjecture. And by the way, I'd be afraid too that she's nuts, right? I mean, seriously, not to mention what everyone's going to think and say behind his back or to his face for that matter. I mean, there is only one thing crazier than your bride-to-be telling you that God just got her pregnant. And that would be uh, that the everlasting father Uh, wants you to be his dad. Do you get how insane that sounds? To appreciate Joe, you really need to, you know, we've been uh, inoculated with the story so much we're immune to the shock. But put yourself in his shoes. They're about to get married. Legally, they were married, but they hadn't had the ceremony yet, hadn't come together. And she says, God got her pregnant and he wants you to be the dad. That sounds insane. Just to say out loud that the God of all creation 
made himself like one of us and had a human dad, but he did. It's one of the infinite number of things that make him so incredible. So the question is, what can we know about old Joe? Because God chose him as his dad. Here's the big thing. He was a builder, right? We know that. He was a builder. A lot of versions say carpenter. Well, I'm going to take that away from you because that's not, I don't think he was. But he was a builder. And Sephoris was a commercial Jewish city. They're excavating it right now. It's a commercial Jewish city. It was called the Jewel of Galilee. It's just four miles north of Nazareth. And it was undergoing this massive reconstruction uh, of the entire city throughout Jesus' upbringing. Uh, Builders from everywhere came and, and lived all around the area to work in that city. So this is conjecture now. This is conjecture, what I'm about to say. It's quite possibly where Jesus apprenticed. Probably. But that's conjecture. But it probably is. And if it was, well, he and his dad would have walked this very road to work. And even if it wasn't, Jesus walked this road. Now, old Joe was what the word calls a tectone. He was a tectone. It just means builder. And it can be referring to uh, a builder with wood, like a carpenter, or a builder with stone, like a mason. As far as the level goes, it's applied to a master builder. It is applied to an expert craftsman. And it is also applied, and this is the one I think we need to focus on, the common low-paid construction guy. That's got to be, that's got to be our guy right there. Common Joe construction guy. In fact, it is. You know how we know? Deduction. Because when Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary took baby Jesus to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. That's in the Bible. That's Leviticus, the law of the Lord regarding a new mother. It's 40 days after the birth. And here's what is quoted. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. That's what they took. But here's the thing. The law, if you read it in Leviticus, it actually required a lamb. However, the law in Leviticus 12.6 also says this. If she cannot afford a lamb... She is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. She can't afford it. It's perfectly poetic. The dad of the lamb of God couldn't afford a lamb of his own. And he's got the lamb. But it means old Joe's poor. And other, the other two positions there, the skilled and the expert, they were well paid. It was the common, ordinary grunt that wasn't. So there's more than one reason Jesus was born in a barn. They got no money. Those two birds took the last of Joe's money. That was the last of his money to buy those two birds. You know how we know? Because if he would have had more, he would have bought the lamb. The Magi haven't arrived yet. This is 40 days later. The the wise men haven't come yet with their their gold. You know how we know, right? (laughs) Because if Joseph had a box of gold, Mary would have had a little lamb. 
deduction. <laughs> you see, uh, first God gives the opportunity to act in faith. And then he gives the gold. And then he gives the gold. Joseph was acting in faith. He just wasn't aware he was going for the gold. And I'm going to suggest, you decide if this is deduction or conjecture. I'm not sure which it is. It's conjunction. There's got to be some word in there. That old Joe wasn't a carpenter. He was a mason. Because one, he was poor. Carpenters were rare and well paid. Two, it was so common. Those were the mostly they worked with. And three, his stepson is the rock of our salvation. The stone the builders rejected. The chief cornerstone. A tried stone. A precious cornerstone. A sure foundation that God lays as the living stone who came to build a spiritual house with us. The living stones. For Yah is the eternal rock of ages, where we get that line, and hallelujah, that rock was Christ. So wouldn't, I mean, doesn't it seem like when he's put in the human body, he would want an understanding and a skill set in the background relating to the chief biblical symbols of his nature and his mission and his work? And get this, Jesus, throughout the Bible, never used a single reference to carpentry. But boy, oh boy, he used tons about masonry. Noah built with wood, gopher wood. The foolish, well, they build with straw. But the Lord, he built with the rock. And knowing what we know about old Joe, you know who I'd cast to play the role? The rock. Who else? Who else? I, I think it's a wonderful serendipitous coincidence. I think this is, for me, it's like if I have to find someone to play this guy, that's the guy. No power tools in that day, just the muscle you build on the job. And if he's hoisting rocks. But I want you to notice how that picture changes your perception. Just a picture like that. For one, bald. No, I, <laughs> I don't think Joseph was. But look how that picture changes your perception. Just a little thought. And think how often we do this to God. We have the wrong picture. A lot of believers have a lot of problems relating to our Heavenly Father because of our earthly fathers. Because bad dads give God a bad rap. Because, and this is kind of our fault, we project their faults and flaws onto our true father or mother or siblings or other Christians we've known. We just project a lot. But especially, I think, especially our dads. But Jesus most, uh, the most used term that Jesus used for himself was son of man. He loved calling himself the son of man. And old Joe is literally the man. Son of God, son of man. You dads, you dads play such a crucial role in crafting our perception of our true father. It's a lot of weight on your shoulders, appropriate weight on your shoulders. 
And that's why we all, all of us together, we all need to be aware of how our Father God differs from all of our stepdads. Because let's face it, only he is the rock, a God of truth and righteous and upright is he. And the Lord is righteous. Not only, not only is righteous, he loves righteousness. He loves righteousness. And I say that because the one thing we know, and we know so little about Joe, but the one thing we know is that Joseph was a righteous man. Mm. Boy, does that open some doors. This is the single greatest commendation that God can offer a human. To put that in writing in a description about a human. I don't know if you know how rare that is. Only one man in the entire Old Testament got that treatment. Any guesses? Not even Abraham. Noah. Noah was a righteous man and blameless. I mean, that's how rare it is that God uses that word. And not to diss Noah. I mean, Noah was a righteous man. And I don't mean any respect. But the Lord had to teach him how to build. Not the other way around. Old Joe taught the Lord. And that one word is all we need to know to really know old Joe. You know why? Because the Lord defines in scripture exactly what he means when he uses that word on a human. So what do you say we get to know righteous old Joe? Because we're told in Proverbs, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Other translations say walks in his integrity. Blessed are his children because they have him for a dad. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Oh, I like that. A righteous man hates lying. The righteous care about justice for the poor. And the righteous are gracious and giving. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's that balance. And even though old Joe was righteous, he certainly wasn't perfect because there isn't a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. He had his moments. No, the one who never sins, that'd be the sun, the light of the world. But light is sown like seed for the righteous. And one thing the seed saw while growing up with old Joe was this toughness tempered with tenderness, reflecting that balance, the kindness and sternness of our Father God. You know how we know that that's true of old Joe? Because the little we know is that when the love of his life for all intents and purposes seemed to be unhinged and un. Faithful at a time and in a culture where ooh, it meant a lot more. But when she appeared to be unfaithful and unhinged, he did not allow a broken heart or wounded pride 
to direct his actions. Incredibly, we're told he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So uh, after studying how to respond, as we're told the righteous do, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Quietly righteous. That was just Joe's way. You know why no one recorded a single word from old Joe? It didn't need to. You know how we know? Because if they needed to, God would have put it in there. And he didn't, which means we didn't need to. His actions speak much louder the way ours do. We have that in common. And boy, oh boy, he seems... Uh, he seems to get the short end on things when it comes to the spectacular stuff. You know, Gabriel, the angel, he appeared physically to Mary and, and appeared in the sanctuary to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, the shepherds. Oh, goodness, they got a whole show, heavenly choir singing to them. But old Joe, well, don't feel too bad, but an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. But really a dream angel? A dream angel, that's it? I mean, you don't wake up and say, oh, that was something I ate. How, how do you trust a dream? See, you put a lot of faith in a dream, right? It's not right. It's weird. Why is he trusting a dream? Why do you only get a dream? And why is he trusting the dream? And the answer for the second part is, well, he's not trusting a dream. He's trusting God's word that came, reminded him of the word via his dream. No, no, I'm about to read what the angel says. And he can wake up the next day and go look it up and go, either he never knew it and go, my goodness, it's in there. Or he did and go, oh, wow, I just didn't, I didn't weave those things together. But the angel says, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, salvation. You're to give him the name salvation, okay? Because he will save his people from their sins. These are just scriptures. He's just weaving scriptures. All this conceiving uh, by the Holy Spirit that Mary's been talking about. All this took place. It did. It happened, Joe. It took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. In this case, the virgin will be with child. And, and, listen closely, the virgin will give birth. Oh, she's got to be a virgin when she gives birth. Okay, the virgin will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Uh, because it was scripture. Because it's God's word. And so he did what the angel uh, commanded him to do and not do. And had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name salvation now back before his heart was broken you know I mean this really helps a lot here but back before the angel came and when he had sent Mary away and before that before his heart was broken he anticipated three big marriage blessings number one public honor because that was a big deal back then public honor I'm a married man too well that union that union is a big deal still is and number three a son to carry his name 
That's a big deal. So please recognize just what it took for old Joe to wake up that morning, put his feet on the floor and say, okay, okay, wedding's on, sex is off. And, and I got to make it clear that God's the father and I'm not. And I'm naming him salvation, simultaneously branding him as illegitimate and me as a big idiot. But if that's what you want, God, all right, then we're doing it. That's old Joe right there in a nutshell. See, when it's clear that life, the life you'd dreamed of is done and gone, go for the gold, even if you don't know there's gold. Go for the gold by giving it all you've got and act in heartfelt faith. The phony stuff doesn't work when the chips are down. And above all else, Actually trust our true father. Actually, actually trust him. You know, you know why the Lord only spoke to old Joe in a dream? It's all he needed. And you know how we know? Because it's all he got. And he did the right thing. Deduction. <laughs> it's all he needed. You see, God will always choose to use the softest tool he can a still small voice because he'd much rather whisper than shout he'll do whatever it takes I mean it takes a choir of angels he'll do whatever it takes but less is always more because God always requires a step of faith and of course he knew just what to do to get everyone simultaneously out of their comfort zone and on board and with old Joe oh goodness he had to be so pleased that all it took was a whisper of his word in his dream. That choir of angels for the shepherds, that's not a compliment. That's what it took. And they were still stepping out on faith. <laughs> really? With a whole choir of angels? <laughs> mm -hmm. But all it took with old Joe was a whisper of God's word in his dream. So why don't we, I promise you, we won't take a lesson Let's just take this lesson right now from little Father Joe. And don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle. For we, you and me, we walk by faith, not by sight. As Jesus later said to old doubting Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Oh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a lot Joe didn't see, sadly. Old Joe seems to have died before Jesus made himself known. And we can only imagine, well, one, we can only imagine what a good father he was, which means we can only imagine the profound heartache his loss must have caused young Jesus. Because long before anyone knew those Jews for Jesus, Everyone knew Joe's for Jesus. And this might have been his greatest contribution and his God-given mission, which is ours, to be an inconspicuously incredible dad. In his case, probably in order to crystallize in young Yeshua's very human heart, the agony and tragedy that comes with a curse of death 
and galvanize him as he prepared to conquer it on the cross. You see, God gives ordinary Joes extraordinary assignments. It's just so hard to recognize them when they're first offered. But man, oh man, I sure wonder. I look on these stories, I just wonder how, how much inspiration did Jesus receive from his earthly father? James writes that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. And he ought to know because salvation was his brother and righteous Joe was his dad. And in the end, at the cross, when Jesus finished his mission and breathed his last, remember the centurion? The centurion looked up and said, surely this was a righteous man. Like fathers, like son. And the son's the one who covers us with his righteousness. It's kind of like a Joe 2.0. And what I said in the beginning, our creator is the one and only genuine definition of father. But what's the one and only genuine definition of him? Well, you know who, the one, the one raised by old Joe before being raised by our heavenly father. The heavenly father about whom Jesus said, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. The one who is the perfect, omnipotent, ultimate Joe. Let's pray to him right now. Father God, we love you and worship you and seek ever deeper the real you. Holy Spirit, empower our dads to stand strong and speak loudly with their actions. Reflecting you, Lord Jesus, our rock. We thank you, praise you as one with our Father. I'm going to worship you now. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.